I know that Christy, Trey, and Callie are praying that prayer today, whatever may pass and whatever lies before us. Christy is the one who designed all of the praise banners and the idea for it up there in the, in the lobby and has, has led the signing of those banners with all the praises over the last 10 years. We chose to respond to the commemoration of the 10th anniversary of the great storm with the banners by raising the praise. And this is the week where it is most challenging. And we know we can praise, and there are different ways to do it. But this has been a tough week for our church family. And Christy writes, Christy serves on our staff in discipleship and missions, and has for a number of years. Her husband John passed away Monday. We had that service on Friday. After John's memorial service, Christy writes to you, in the midst of our in the midst of more precious, loving embraces than I've ever known, our dear friend Mark Foley told us that God's grace was not only covering this, it was filling it and soaking deeply into it. We can say that also about his love and yours. We are covered. We are filled. We are deeply soaked. Thank you, my family. You are truly the body of Christ to me and to my children. You are demonstrating to us the height, depth, length, and width of the love of Christ. She wanted me to read that to you this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we lift up Christy and Trey and Callie to you. Thank you that you're wrapping your arms around them sustaining them and holding them up. Thank you for the comfort that only you can give in a time like this. We pray, God, that you will help us be faithful as her friends and church family and that you will watch over all the decisions that have to be made in the wake of of John's death. We thank you for John, for his teaching and preaching of the Word of God, which was so powerful, so effective, resulted in so many coming to know you and coming to know you better. We commit our ways unto you today. Lord, we pray for the family of Keith Collins, this medical doctor who has died. We pray for his children, his wife, that you will give comfort to them as well. Holy Spirit, speak your word to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been preaching through 
Revelation, some messages from the worship passages in Revelation. Today we're in Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to read the last verses, but I want you to read them with me. No wimpy reading, by the way. All right? These are praise verses, so we must crank up a little bit. We can't whisper them. We got to think about being, you know, angels in heaven when we get to the verses. Now, they're in red, so you'll know which ones they are. Okay, This is the culmination of our Raise the Praise series. Verse 9 of chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Mm. And some of them were sneezing. <laughs> no, no. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every From their eyes. Is that not beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Katrina Memorial, you know, is just a little ways away. It's right there where Canal Street meets City Park. There are six mausoleums that contain the bodies of 81 persons who went unnamed and unclaimed in the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. 1,800 people died, but all were identified but these, unknown to anyone on the planet. But God knows every name. He knew the hairs on their head 
before they perished in the flood. And yesterday, in a ceremony on the 10th anniversary, we claimed them. We claimed them as ours. We claimed these souls, these brothers and sisters who were the image bearers of God. Though we do not know their names, Father in heaven, you know them. And the coroner, Jeffrey Rausch, said, we come here today to account to them for the work we have done since they perished. And I thought it is true. We give an accounting in our own minds and hearts to the people who precede us in death. And we will say sometimes, I know dad would be pleased with that. It's an acknowledgement that they are very, very important to us, these people who have gone before us. And we are happy to see ourselves walking in their footsteps sometimes and doing it like mom would have done it. Or that aunt or uncle or brother or sister or grandpa or grandma. And knowing they would be pleased with what we just did, we are giving an accounting to those who have gone before. And we give an account as well to those who remain. In the body, part of what the body does is watch over each other. Being responsible for one another. Giving an account to each other for our behavior. That's part of what the body does. And it all reflects the truth that God is judge of all the earth. And ultimately we give our answer to him for the things that are done in the flesh. And sometimes we wonder, okay, what am I to do? What is God expecting of me? What are his instructions to me? I've had this question asked of me over and over in all kinds of venues, people wanting to know what God wants them to do. Well, I can tell you what God is doing. He spreads his tent over the multitude we have just read about. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, he takes his tent and he just spreads it out. That's an amazing thing about tents, you know. Unlike traditional houses, you can take a tent and move the pigs. And God just took his tent and spread it out until he engulfed everybody in the great crowd. That's what happened in heaven. He spread his tent over all of them. I can't read that without thinking about the church in the wilderness that we've already seen in the book of Revelation with those four living creatures and how those four banners flew on the east, the west, the north, and the south of the tabernacle, the house of worship, and how the Shekinah glory of the Lord was over that tabernacle, evidenced by a column of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. It's as if the tent 
just spreads out from its place in the center of God's people until it just stretches over everyone. Isaiah says that there is a smoke from the glory of the Lord that covers his people. And there is a light from the burning fire that covers the multitude. And God puts his canopy over all of his people. It is a picture of the future. It's what God intends to do. And it starts with the church in the wilderness, understanding God's intention as they look at the tabernacle and see the banners flying and are counted by God's leaders. The book of Numbers is the book of counting in the Old Covenant. So everybody is accounted for, even in the wilderness, sealed with the identity of God and the protection of God. That's what happens in the first part of this chapter. You have this numbering that reminds you of the wilderness. You have these 12 tribes that are all numbered that remind you of the wilderness. It's the church in the wilderness fighting the scorpions and the snakes. Sometimes being hungry, needing to find the manna, sometimes being thirsty, needing to dig for water, sometimes beaten by the sun and scorched by those rays and needing to find shelter. And God, with the multitude in heaven, spreads his tent out, covers the whole multitude, and promises them never again <laughs> scorched by the heat, never again. Will you be hungry? Never again will you be thirsty. I will lead you to the springs of living water. And I will wipe every tear from your eye. And you realize what God was doing in the wilderness and providing the manna and the quail and the water was a promise of what he would do in heaven. When he got all his people together. And the multitude, the throng were there. And so every time God sent the manna, it pointed to the living bread that he would one day send. And every time they dug for the water, it was a picture of the living water that was to come. What are you supposed to do? Well, every time you feed a school child and pack that bag back there in the closet... You are sending them a little kiss from heaven. You're saying, God cares about your need. And every time you take a scoop of beans and you put it on a plate, you are indicating that we serve a God who cares about your hunger. And Jesus said, the final exam is going to sound something like, I was hungry and you fed me. Why, Lord, would that be on the exam? Because taking care of hurting people is the promise of God's love and presence that everyone in pain needs. And God left his church here, including you, to make sure that you were busy doing this work. You won't go anywhere in this city full of hurt and trouble where Jesus hasn't gone before you. The lamb in the center of the throne will be the shepherd. Okay, don't be dizzy. 
Because you're thinking the lamb is the shepherd? Yes, the lamb is the shepherd. We have sheep on our farm. And there's, there's a sheep in charge. Some of you grew up on dairy farms and you know there's a cow in charge. And when that cow decides it's time to go to the barn, she takes off and all the cows fall in line. If you got good sense, you hang a cowbell on that cow. And you know wherever the cowbell's ringing, <laughs> the herd's coming. Well, the lamb who is in the center of the throne is the shepherd who will lead us. So, following Jesus, we see him feeding the 5,000 and saying, I'm the bread of life. All right, so Lord, help us connect all of our deeds of compassion and love toward people in need with Jesus who is the bread of life. We see him talking to the woman at the well saying, what you need is living water. If you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And so we say in our hearts, Lord, every time we present a cup of cold water, help us connect it to the living water. Help us make sure people know that we are operating in love. Every time we spread out the tent and take in a stranger. I was a stranger and you took me in. Every time we stretch the tent out and take in a stranger, we want to say, this is God's love. Cast in his protection over you. We did that for 1,100 families in our home recovery ministry after the storm, deploying 21,000 volunteers to those homes and to 91 new homes where 91 families now live. We were stretching the tent out. And when we went to the home dedications, we said to the people who were assembled, we are here because Jesus gives shelter to those in need. He is the one who stretches out his tent, and we are stretching out our tent. And everywhere we go in the city, we want to connect what we are doing to the word of the gospel because it all points to him. Heaven, we've got a description of. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more scorched by the heat. Every tear wiped away, that's heaven. What points to heaven? It's when people who care about others come up to them and care for their needs. It's following Jesus in the work of compassion and help. And every time we do it, it is an act of worship in Jesus' name if it's done right. We worship with our lives. After the storm, we realize, you know, God wants to change how we configure church. We need to do something in church that makes deeds of compassion and love easily accessible to everybody in the body. And that's what the care effect was. It was our effort to make it easy to be part of feeding people, tutoring children at risk, helping kids in, in school get food, caring for the homeless, going to the prison, going to the nursing home. It was our effort to reach out to our neighbors in need with the love of Christ and give them a taste of heaven. A taste of God's love and point them to the Savior who alone could meet their need. And after the storm, we configured our church so that on Wednesday nights, we don't necessarily just come here. We go there. All over the community, in a dozen different places, sharing the love of Christ. We spread our tent out. 
as we take in a foster child. It is an act of the love of God for us. For a foster family to reach out and take them in. Right now we have 10 families who've been certified in foster care in our state through Crossroads NOLA. We have 90 other families in the pipeline moving toward foster care. Why would you do that? Because you want the love of God to be known. And who's more vulnerable than a child that's been forcibly removed from their home by the authorities? And who's supposed to take care of them when they come and get them out of the house? Maybe the church of Jesus Christ could help. The system itself needs help. And so now, Crossroads NOLA is not only helping parents, but reaching out to all of the Department of Child and Family Services and helping with training and working on curriculum so that kids in this state can be better sheltered as we spread out our tent. Just an example of how we make heaven a little more real here. It's so human of you to cry. American, scientific American says that tears coming out of the eyes and rolling down the cheeks, that that is unique to humans. No other creatures do that. You know when you cry in pain and sorrow, Scripture says God bottles up your tears. Did you ever read that? He keeps your tears in a bottle. Your tears have your unique DNA. A little bit of who you are and what you've experienced, what you've gone through, what you've suffered, and what you hope for course down your cheek when you cry and God's in the business of coming to people who are hurting who have suffered much sometimes great tribulation and wiping away their tears now sometimes I laugh so hard I cry am I the only person that does that Sometimes I laugh so hard I cry. And I suppose when I get to heaven, I'm still going to be able to do that. I just laugh till it hurts, but there's no pain in heaven, so I don't know how to work that out. All right? But when the scripture talks about wiping away all the tears here, it's talking about those tears that are created by our pain, our trouble, our loss, our physical infirmities, our bereavement brings tears down our cheek. Do you know you are the ambassador of Christ in this city? When you wipe tears away, you may never know the child in this city who cried himself to sleep until he got the love and care that you provided and you wiped away his tears you may never know that widow 
who gets no visit from her family and cried herself to sleep that now that you've been going and checking on her, you wiped away her tears. I'll never forget that little boy at Rivard Juvenile Detention Center who came up to me and looked me straight in the eye and said to me, what are you doing here? My very presence in that youth prison was so astonishing to him, he couldn't process in his mind. What are you doing here? And I told him about the love of Jesus because Jesus said in the final exam, I was a prisoner and you visited me. And it startles some prisoners to do that. But you give them a taste of heaven and show them God's love when you do. And last Wednesday, 12 people from this congregation showed up there. And maybe the most powerful thing we said was not uttered by words, but just the fact that we walked in that space to care for them. Maybe you've been feeling inadequate. You're not sure that you can really help people in trouble. You know how to buy a box of Kleenex? You know, hand somebody a tissue? Nothing so profound in your grief as what Christy mentioned in her note. Somebody putting their arm around you and just loving you. And suddenly you know in the gift of that moment you are the face of God to this one. And God has allowed you to partner with him in the wiping away of tears. Nothing fills our tears more fully than the sense of being lost and abandoned. The sense that nobody knows and nobody cares. And Jesus sent his church into the world to announce good news. The creator God loves you and your very presence on this planet is an act of his love. And the creator God has sent his son, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. He has sent him to rescue you. And this too is an act of love. And nobody has greater love than this. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to satisfy the need of our sin. We have good news for people with tears and broken hearts. And God has given us the business of wiping tears away. And when we do it, it's a foretaste of heaven. Bow with me, please. Somebody here needs to know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. And you've hesitated at that point like Jason told in his testimony.
you've never really stepped forward to say, I want Christ in my life. I want to give my life to him. This could be the day when you make that most important decision. Maybe you need to connect with a body of believers who is truly seeking to reach out to a city full of pain and trouble. And maybe you're ready to say, Lord, let me be part of this work that you're doing, expressing your love. God, do your work in us. Send your word to us. Let your spirit rule in us this moment. In Jesus' name we pray.